Recorded live from several secure disclosed locations in the Northeast United States, it's an isolation edition of Transformation Thursday. I'm Amy Stevens and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Penny Sterling and my pronouns are she, her. Isolation is a good thing when we're trying to protect ourselves and others from a virus outbreak. But isolation is not so good when we talk about keeping LGBTQ plus folks from places they may want to go like church. And many public people often claim that being queer in any way is a sin and will quote scripture, chapter and verse to back up their claim. But our guest today is challenging these assumptions in an entertaining way and he's using his deep knowledge of the Bible to back up what he says. Our conversation with performer and Bible nerd Peterson Toscano coming up right after our traditional music swell and fade out. Let's talk about change, Amy. Okay, let me see. It looks like I've got three quarters, a nickel, a Canadian loonie, and a few British tenors from when I was in London, because I'm an international comedian. No, not that change. Change is in transformation. The topic of Transformation Thursday. Oh, yeah, that. Well, we're doing this podcast to highlight how much things change and how quickly they do it in society today. Everything changes, and change isn't good or bad. It just is. The more we realize that change is just the natural progression of things, the better off we'll be. Now, let's talk about change. Didn't we just do that? No, no, not the last one. The first one, the coins, money, about how people can give us some of theirs so that we can continue talking about ours. Are you just trying to get people to go to our Patreon page to support this podcast so that we can continue our exploration of what it means to live in a rapidly changing world? Because although this is a labor of love, we do have expenses, and by going to TransformationThursday.com, they can help ensure that we can continue to be bringing this fun and insightful commentary on the world today, plus get exclusive patrons-only content. Um, if I say yes, can we get on to our next segment? Oh, God, I hope so. Okay, then. TransformationThursday.com. Also, can you break a 20 for me? Sure. I can get that to you in euros. Okay, now you're just showing off. Listen. Boys are not supposed to dream. So one day I pulled my brother aside. I said, listen, you got to do something to this kid. Uh, toughen him up. It's a rough world. They're just going to ride right over him. But does he listen to me? No. He gives them everything he wants, including that robe. The a royal garment. The kind of garment that a, a king would give to his virgin daughter. It was a princess dress. My brother Jacob, he gave his son Joseph a princess dress. And that kid, he put that dress on. He flitted about the compound like he was some kind of butterfly. And I thought, this is not going to end well. That's Esau, the brother of Jacob, which made him the uncle of Joseph. That Joseph, the Technicolor Dreamcoat Joseph, in a clip from his film, Transfigurations, Transgressing Gender in the Bible, as performed by our guest today, Bible scholar and performer, Peterson Toscano. 
After spending 17 years and over $30,000 on three continents attempting to de-gay himself through a gay conversion therapy, Peterson came to his senses and came out as a quirky queer Quaker concerned with human rights and comedy. His plays include Doing Time in the Homo Nomo Halfway House, Jesus Has Two Daddies, and Does This Apocalypse Make Me Look Fat? His film, Transfigurations, Transgressing Gender in the Bible, explores the stories of gender non-conforming Bible characters. Yeah, before we bring on Peterson, I met him about a year ago when he was here in Rochester. He was in town to do a few talks of his homo nomo show. And when I saw him at the First Universalist Church here, he touched on that show, but also talked a lot about Joseph, transgender issues, and he tied it all together with climate change. It was a really unique and fascinating show. And at the time, even though I wasn't fully out living full-time as myself, I brought my youngest daughter with me. Uh, she was 10 at the time, and she absolutely loved the show. After the show, I had the opportunity to speak with Peterson. Since we had communicated via Twitter earlier that day, he knew I was trans, but not out to my daughter, and he handled everything perfectly, and I thank him so much for that. On the way home, my daughter actually asked me, Daddy, what is transgender? Uh, since I was not out to her yet, it gave me an opportunity to explain the concept in terms that I thought were pretty easy for a 10-year-old to understand, and she was happy with the answer, so we just kept on driving home. However, a few weeks later, I did come out to her and my older daughter, LaRue, who at the time was 17, having had this conversation earlier, a few weeks earlier in the car, made it so much easier coming out to her. I'm thankful um, I brought her to Peterson's show that night, and thankful we have kept in touch on Twitter, and now he's curious tonight as our guest. I'm so happy. I'm welcome. Um, so, Peterson, I'm really fascinated by what you're doing with the gender bender interpretation of the Bible, but first, I want to hear about your conversion therapy experience. Three continents. So did, did you think being on another landmass might make you less gay? Yeah, possibly, although um, it didn't work that way. I had a pastor back in the day who said, you know, wherever you go, there you are. And that was true. Everywhere I went, the gay thing followed me. Wow. So could you give us a little bit of background of, of you know, because you said uh, 17 years, uh, $30,000. Can you like kind of nutshell that where you started and why you <laughs> sure. tried to do the, uh, why you why you attempted the conversion therapy? Well, in a way, it's a very bizarre story, but it's not terribly uncommon in that we live in a culture that rewards us for being a certain way and punishes us when we don't fit the norms. And so for me, I was a real sissy growing up, uh, and I was attracted to men I realized early on, you know, when puberty hit, I knew the direction and it was only for the guys. And I... At that time, this was the 70s into the 80s, it was dangerous to be an openly gay person. In fact, I didn't know such a thing was even possible. And then the AIDS crisis hit, so it became even that much more treacherous. Uh, hate crimes went through the roof, and the, the negative things people were saying about gays on the news. I was a teen. It hit me really hard, and I crunched all that data together and I took all that internalized homophobia and I weaponized it basically to try to utterly destroy the gay part of me. And for whatever reason, I'm an incredibly persistent person. So I just kept trying and trying and trying until I finally exhausted 
all of my options and finally had to come to my senses and accept myself. Yeah, but but the, the conversion therapy didn't it teach you how to do an oil change. So, I mean, there's some practical skills that were gained through this too, right? <laughs> That's true. Well, and this is the funny thing. So much of it actually was about gender. And and although I'm not I'm not trans, I'm definitely not male like my dad was male. My dad was from the Bronx and was a, you know, US Marine. We were we're gendered differently. And the the conversion therapy movement in large part was far more obsessed with gender presentation and gender roles than it actually was with sexual desire. Is that what kind of prompted you to do this biblical, uh, what I, I call Bible nerd stuff of looking at and interpreting? Uh, and Bible word, by, by the way, Bible nerd is not an insult as far as I'm concerned. My no, pastor, my pastor calls himself a, a Bible nerd, and it's and I, I get so much from him and his uh, interpretations of this. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and, and the fact that you are looking at this and actually taking that deep dive, including the the language things, what uh, what I mentioned in our e- the email to you, I, I called it midrash. Which yeah. uh, it, it, do you consider this to be midrash? What you're doing? Definitely, it definitely falls in that category. It's it's, it's sort of filling in the spaces. I, I heard one rabbi, you know, explain that you know parchment uh, and and writing utensils they were all very expensive, and so these stories are often very sparse, and so they need to be fleshed out some, but. But it, for me, it had nothing directly to do with my conversion therapy experience to explore these stories. It actually had much more to do with what happened when I finally came out in that I was a cis, I'm a cis gay man, white cis gay man, and I was shocked at the discrimination I witnessed by other white cis gay men towards LGBTQ people of color, towards women, towards bi people, and particularly towards trans people, especially trans women. And it was shocking to me as I began to talk about my conversion therapy experience, how I would hear these ugly things that were being said by people who you would think would have an affinity with trans folks, because we're really all in the same boat together, even though our experiences are different. So one of the primary reasons why I decided to do this work initially was to preach to the choir and to teach them a new song. You know, I didn't realize the other impacts it would have. Turns out lots of trans and non-binary people would come to the shows and were just so unbelievably deeply moved by seeing themselves in the text. And then... Other, you know, non-LGBTQ Christian folks began to see the work, and it helped them get over the hurdles that they were having with accepting LGBTQ people and trans folks in particular. So it it's kind of had this own life of its own, but the first reason was to speak to my people to get their rears and gear about standing in solidarity with trans and non-binary people. Yeah, we had a guest on our show uh Oh, last year, actually, a trans man named named Jason, he came straight out and said, gay white men are quite problematic in, in the fact that they seem to be siding with power as opposed to siding with the people who the marginalized. And which is kind of what you're also doing in uh, in, in your in, in your in your Bible work here and your and your shows is you're re, you're, you're bringing it back. You're, you're putting you're, you're at least you're attempting to put Christianity on the right side of power again. Uh, the, and, and like the, uh, you know, making sure that there are no, no roadblocks between anybody who wants to seek God and God. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that does that sound right? Well, I guess so. I mean, through the years, I I mean, my faith personally is incredibly important to me. I'm mm-hmm. a Christian. I'm a Quaker. But I've seen enough of people being badgered by religion that whenever I do this presentation, I I kind of do it with a really open hand and say, this is Bible scholarship. If it if it speaks to you on a spiritual level, that's awesome. Um, but I'm just here as you know, kind of a witness of what I've seen to be a, a you know a channel to bring this information. You could see it as a scholar. You could see it as a believer. You could see it as a non-believer. And 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 for me, as a performance artist, part of it is just to trust the audience to take what they need from it. And you also mentioned a little bit ago that you have people that you know you are challenging their preconceptions of what and how Christianity views the LGBTQ people. But and you how? But overall, how is this all received in the Christian community? Well, you know, of course, it's it's hard to get access to their spaces. So, uh, you know, they're not going to invite me to their church when they see my resume. But I've had multiple times where people would bring somebody to the show. Or I remember one time in Wichita, Kansas, there were these um, these Christians that really wanted to share this with their pastors and other people. So they had a private performance in their home. It was by invitation only, and it was like Nicodemus sneaking in in the middle of the night for fear that the other Pharisees would see him. And they all come in, and I did the presentation. And the the thing that's interesting is I was uh, evangelical for most of my life. I was a Christian missionary. I know how evangelicals look at the Bible, and they don't like it when you make stuff up. But if you can say, no, this is where I get this idea from, they ultimately may say, well, I don't agree with you, but I can see where you got that from. And so I stick to a very close reading of the text. So although the interpretations may be seen as progressive or different or or exceptionally different, the method I use is actually fairly conservative of how I get these ideas. And as a result, people see I respect the text and they listen very closely as a result. The other thing too is performance. I learned this early on because at first I was just doing a lecture of it and I would start talking about the material, people would immediately get questioning and defensive, even LGBTQ people, because our brains have been hacked in such a way that we see these stories in a certain way or we listen to them with our mother's ears. How is she going to respond? And that's when I realized by doing the performance, becoming the characters, transforming to multiple genders in front of their eyes, it put people into that storytelling place in their brains so they were less defensive and more open to hear. And so I tell people, if you see the show and you go and you say, I want to tell people, you know, Joseph was wearing a princess dress, don't be surprised if people push back because it is about not just the content, but how I present it that makes it really, makes it really work for a lot of people. Yeah, not only do you know the English side of it so well, but you have an amazing background in Hebrew, too. So do you want to spend a little bit of time on your studies and how you got so proficient with the Hebrew language? Yeah, I um, well, I was uh, trained to be a, a missionary, and I studied Greek foolishly because, I don't know, I wanted to do the New <laughs> Testament, but Hebrew is so much more interesting. And so my Hebrew isn't particularly good, but I have good friends who know Hebrew really well. And in Right up the street from my house here in Sunbury, Pennsylvania, there's a, a synagogue, and I know the rabbi very well. So she sat down and taught me a lot of really important things I needed to know to help me do this work. Yeah, that's amazing. Do you find um, any 
pushback from I may think you mentioned it, but the from the from the queer community when you do this, any um, again, I'm going back to something that Jay said. Uh, he said um, we're too queer for the Christians and too Christian for the queers. Uh, do you do you do you get anything mm. like that? Any um, because I feel that way. I've, I've my own faith journey was was long and arduous and painful and a lot of fury involved in it. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying very hard to come closer to God myself. And so that's that's why I looked at it through that lens when you were talking about this because it was like I'm trying to find validation mm -hmm. uh, for for myself and to 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 find ways where I can you know logically reject. And, and, and like you said, using the actual mm -hmm. text to, to reconsider things in the Bible so that I feel more comfortable, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, defending myself. So do you get, a, do you get any pushback from the LGBTQ, right. LGBTQ community? <laughs> well, if I do, it's usually never at a show. It's usually the idea of my show. Like one time I was going to a Quaker college and there was a, a faculty member, lesbian, who when she heard what I was coming to do, this was when I was still doing my homo nomo halfway house play, but I was identified as a gay Christian. She adamantly refused to come to my show. Her comment was, a gay Christian? That's like being a Jewish Nazi. Wow. Now, this is a person who was raised in the South who probably experienced an incredible amount of violence and trauma from Christians. And the idea of being one of them must be so impossible of a thought. And I think that's why I am very sensitive that, you know, when I do my shows, I ask the host, you know, who do you want in the audience? And if they say, we want LGBTQ people here, and then I say, well, then don't do it in your church, because no matter how many rainbow flags you have up in front, some people have been so wounded by a church, they just can't walk in the door. So it's, you know, I'm very sensitive uh, to that, that people have, have really rough histories with, with the church. What I have found, though, is when people see me perform and they see how I do it, I, I, um, I'm, I'm fairly disarming how I do these things. In fact, there's a, a fairly famous gay atheist in England who saw my show by accident. He loved it and invited me to come to the LGBTQ Humanist Society in London. So there I was doing queer Bible stuff for the LGBTQ atheist, and they loved it. How do they feel about your your Esau imitation and your 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 your, uh, your description of Joseph? Uh, did, did I felt relief when I listened to it? Did huh. what what what's the? Uh, also, your Esau is dead on. It was like I thought I was in the room with him. Uh, so, <laughs> well, and I'm so grateful to Samuel Neff, who's the director uh, who directed the film version of it, and we had a really wonderful crew with makeup and that I have a killer beard in there. Uh, you know, I have people tell me that um, that's almost always the place where most people cry at the end of that monologue. Uh, because this Esau character reminds people of that uncle, that father, that brother in their life who has been so intolerant and dismissive and just, you know, that burly guy that just crushes the flower of a, of a, of a tender soul. And uh, then to see that person have this shift and recognize that Joseph saved them all, this girly boy, 
people are really deeply moved. And when the, again, how I unpack that story, it's very, very carefully structured. So there's this whole thing that, you know, Joseph, the Hebrew word, is interpreted only one other place. It's a princess dress. If I just say that right out, half the audience I've lost. But by doing it as Esau and and acting it out and then bringing the scholarship afterwards and building on it, that structure helps them hear what I'm saying and receive it in a different way than if it were just a straight lecture. Yeah, from a storytelling perspective, that's pure gold. I I really admire admire that. I, I'm also a storyteller. I do stuff mm-hmm. that's much more personal, not biblical, uh, because I only speak about what I know. Um, and so it it really as it from from that from that viewpoint, it really. Uh, it, you're right. It was it was great. Um, how long did you, how long did did you write this by yourself? Did you co-write this? I mean, you have a director. Did you guys work on it? Was it a collaborative or was this all you and your your work? I don't work well with others. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a real solo performer, and I'm a huge introvert. So what happened was. I was performing my play doing time in the homo nomo halfway house, which was incredibly successful. People loved it. But after five years, I thought I need to stop performing this play because to perform this entire play re-traumatizes me because I'm reliving over and over this trauma of these two years I lived in a particular residential facility that tried to cure me. So I decided I was going to retire that play. And I began to do this research uh, for transfigurations. And I had an agent at the time and she was livid. She said, what are you doing? You're making all this money. All these people want you to do this homo nomo. I said, yeah, but as an artist, as an activist, this is where I need to go. She goes, but nobody cares. Nobody wants to see this. (laughs) I was like, well, I do. I want to see it. So the research was mostly, the biblical stuff was on my own, but there was another part of the research that was really important. I interviewed about a hundred different transgender and non-binary people. And I just sat down and I, you know, asked, you know, would you tell me your story? And I just listened to their stories and heard such a diversity of stories. Everyone's story was different. And then I went to the Bible to see if there were echoes of those stories that I I witnessed. So one example is... um, this uh, one trans guy told me that he was working for an academic press, but when he started the job, he was still presenting as a, as a woman and then transitioned on the job. And then there was this funny part of his transition when it wasn't quite clear to people if he was male or female. And he said when he was in that liminal space, suddenly the floodgates opened and all these people would come unsolicited and share their deepest, darkest secrets with them, including like these deep sexual secrets. So then um, I mean, he just found it really fascinating. And then when, when he was presenting more in a way that people saw him as male, the stories just dried up. So shortly after that, I'm reading the book of Esther, which has 12 different eunuchs in it. And there's this one eunuch who's helping Esther uh, get close to the king and says, when you go to see the king, bring only what I tell you to bring. And Esther had to go in to perform sexually for the king. Somehow this eunuch, this non-binary being, knew secrets from the king. 
somehow he was entrusted with this information. And he was able to give that information to Esther, which helped her to become queen and then ultimately save her people. And I thought about like this person who's in that in-between place of gender, how perhaps they get privy to stories. And I heard other trans folks say that as well, that they just feel that people can come and talk to them. And I don't think a lot of people really put together the importance of eunuchs throughout scripture, including that in the Jewish scriptures. And as well as if you look at the book of Acts in the Christian scriptures, how important eunuchs are in that period of time and that they were really viewed as a third gender outside of the binary. And the other thing that is extraordinary is, okay, now, so a eunuch, I, you know, I definitely, as a scholar, I don't see a eunuch as a, as a cis gay person, and I don't see a eunuch as a trans woman or a trans man. It's a different identity that they didn't always get to choose. They often didn't get to choose. But they were definitely considered a third gender, and they were the queer people of their day. They couldn't have children. Most of them were castrated before puberty. So they never experienced puberty. They retained high voices. They didn't get the the facial hair, the body hair that comes with testosterone. So they looked and sounded different from the men and women around them. But what is extraordinary is early on in the law, the Jewish law, they are utterly condemned. It says that they're an abomination and that they are forbidden in the assembly of the Lord. But then something happens. The Jewish people go into exile in Babylon and Persia. And when they need help, who helps them but eunuchs? Daniel and his friends are helped by a eunuch. Esther is helped by a eunuch. Jeremiah is rescued by a eunuch. And then something shifts because we get to the prophets, you get to Isaiah, and that prohibition gets turned on its head because you have Isaiah 56. God says through Isaiah, let not the eunuch say, I'm a dried up old tree with no future, no hope. For to those eunuchs who keep my command and honor my Sabbath, I will give you a memorial better than sons and daughters. I will write your name on the walls of my house, and you will never be cut off. So the promise gets reversed. The promise it becomes a promise that undoes the prohibition, and it gets carried on into Jesus and the disciples, who when Philip sees this eunuch, it says in the text, the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip to talk to this person. And then you have the first recorded baptism of the early church is a black African surgically altered gender variant, rich, literate, foreign civil servant who then goes back to Ethiopia and the church in Ethiopia traces their roots back to that person. So what I love about it is this story of someone who is the ultimate outsider is embraced as, in a way, the ultimate insider. Yeah. It's and it's really interesting for me to see how much that interpretation well, for for me the that interpretation of uh, of Philip is what is one of the things that really kind of kept me going to church and kept my faith because mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. about to to give up on it and then yeah. uh the my pastor like brought that up brought that point up it's like one of my favorite things in the Bible and I also and like today we were we were talking about acts and it's like that that line that I kind of paraphrased like let nothing come between uh, nothing but come between those who wish to seek God and God and there are still people who are coming in between us right. and so right. it's and so that's why I find such hope and such joy in what you're doing because you are like gently you know that that, that gentle way that they you you can't hit them with your anger you can't you can't get in their face you just have to gently explain mm-hmm. to them and, and and bring these 
these ideas and these thoughts in their head. And I, I, as a storyteller, that's what I'm trying to do. And I'm just so grateful that you're doing it as well. And obviously better than I am right now. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk about it because um, for years I was performing it live and I knew it had to be on a film. It had to be a DVD or streaming. And, um, and it was an extraordinary story of how we got the money and everything. It was just such a, like one of those God things, but I wanted it as a film so that those people who would never come to my show could go to Amazon prime and watch it, or they can, someone lends them a DVD and they will watch it, uh, and, and be taught something that they would normally be willing to hear. Why don't you go ahead and tell people how they can find that right now? I'll put a link in the in in the uh, in, in this, but I would love it if you would like tell them how to find this and what it's called again. Sure, the film is called Transfigurations: Transgressing Gender in the Bible. You can uh, stream it uh, through Amazon Prime. There's a, 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 a if you are a Prime member, there's a very low fee to rent it or to buy it. You could also buy a DVD from uh, the website MeetingHouse.xyz. The DVD actually has two versions of the film. Uh, there is the performance lecture version, which is the one that we've mostly been talking about, where I perform and then I explain what I'm doing. But there's also this other version. It's a full play version where it's just the characters and there's a very dramatic ending. Uh, and that's on the DVD. And people haven't been able to see it streaming until... Uh, about two weeks ago when I released it online for free during this time of coronavirus and knowing that people are stuck at home. Uh, and so that's called Transfigurations, uh, uh, Gender Outlaws in the Bible, and it's available on my Vimeo, and you can get to it through petersontoscano.com. Thanks for that. Yeah, and what I, yeah thank you. What, what I find amazing about that video, too, is we, we watched it here yesterday at home as a family because, as you mentioned, we're under COVID-19 lockdown here in the state of New York. And you know, I watched it with my ex-wife my and my two kids, and that kind of led us through a Bible chase as we were starting mm. to read through scriptures and then looking up, you know, and then looking up Hebrew words, you know. So I think it, it changes your perspective on that so much, especially with the story of Joseph. So have you seen that with other people as well? Absolutely. In fact, soon after the film came out, someone contacted me and said, could, could you put together a study guide? Uh, and so on my website, there's a free study guide. If you, again, you go to petersontoscano.com, look for Transfigurations. There's a PDF study guide. And now people have been using it in their churches and their personal studies and going through it uh, and, and doing a, a, a studying and doing a deep dive. So what are you doing now? Where, where, what are you working on now? You sound like a guy who's always got to be working on something. Something. Well, you know, I, I came to this place with Transfigurations. Two, two very big things happened. One, when I first started doing it in 2007, there were very few uh, visible trans people doing Bible work. But that changed a lot. And so that by the time I got to about 2016, there are lots of trans people doing this work who had been through cemetery, cemetery, <laughs> uh, through seminary. And uh, they, you know, and, and so they were available. So I understood it was time for me to step back. And if someone wanted to invite someone to their campus to talk about LGBTQ in the Bible, particularly trans and non-binary, they needed to talk to a trans non-binary person. And I really, I gave you a list of people who I really love and respect who are trans and non-binary. And I urge you to reach out to any of them because they're really brilliant folks and, and, um, and they can speak so deeply to some of these issues because they're so personal. But the other thing that happened to me was, it was around 2014, 
I became, well, 2012, I became incredibly concerned about climate change as a human rights issue. And uh, I've never been an environmentalist in any traditional sense. I mean, I'm concerned about the polar bears, but, you know, I'm more concerned about coffee. You know, I'm that kind of guy, but I'm concerned about people. And when I realized that climate change um, really threatens human security and threatens LGBTQ people, I realized this is my issue. And I need to use my skills of comedy and storytelling to help people because, the climate movement is always so dire often and it needs it needed some queerness in it and so i just began pursuing queer responses to climate change and now i have a number of shows live shows i do and i also produce different podcasts the only bible thing i do now is a monthly podcast with liam hooper Liam Hooper is an incredible trans guy from Winston-Salem who was raised Southern Baptist, but he's Jewish now. And we do a show called Bible Bash Podcast, where we each take turns telling a Bible story and then reflecting on it. And that's a, a wonderful podcast. And Liam is such a, he is the deep Bible scholar when it comes to, to Hebrew. And, uh, and people, I could just listen to him all day. I did want to ask you real quick, you know, we talked about Joseph, maybe more on the um, gender non-binary, skewing feminine, um, eunuchs being their own. But, you know, any examples within the Bible of, you know, assigned female at birth ask, acting more masculine? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's um, the thing with the Bible is, you know, there's such clearly defined roles of what men and women are supposed to do, it's not that difficult to see when someone's misbehaving or breaking out of their roles. (laughs) And of course, we don't know all the reasons behind why they're in these roles, but it it stands out. Uh, And and it's not that, say, a woman couldn't be in this role, but at that time, that just wasn't a possibility. And so you would have to become something other than just a woman to be in that role. And one of the big examples is in the book of Judges. It's a time when the the nation of Israel is before there were kings. It was the nation was ruled by judges who uh, were the spiritual, uh, the spiritual, the the legal and military leaders of their country. And there are all these male judges, like Samson was one. But in the middle of it, there's this female judge, Deborah. Uh, and you know she's this incredibly strong character, so strong that when um, Barak, the the general, had to go out to fight against the enemy, he said, "I'm not going to go unless you come with me, Deborah." I mean, she was just some sort of kick butt warrior, and the general would not go without Deborah. And I love I love that story about Deborah. And again, not that a woman couldn't be in that role, but to be in that role, you had to become somewhat of a man to do it. But the other example I love is there's this great story about Jesus and his good friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And and they're different than Jesus's disciples. They're like friends of his, and he's always hanging out at their house. And there's this one moment that I've heard pastors misinterpret all the time. So Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha's preparing food. Martha comes out and complains, you know, Jesus, tell my sister she should help me. And Jesus said, no, no, your sister has chosen the better part. And then the pastor would almost always say, so, are you a Mary or are you a Martha? Are you a Martha, you're always worrying about things, or are you a Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus? Well, what they don't understand is to sit at the feet of a rabbi learning, that is the place exclusively meant for male students. It was transgressive. It was bold. It was wrong for her to be in that place. 
And she's not being submissive, sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's being rebellious and saying, I'm going to learn. She put herself in a male role there. And, uh, and again, we don't know if she identified as male or if she doesn't identify as male, um, but we do know that she's choosing to do something that was exclusively meant for males, and Jesus totally affirms her. That, that's, that's, that's a really unique perspective, and I think that's some of the cultural things that we look at things through our own lenses and in our own time, and we don't understand that experience and that culture from the time that the text was actually written, and I, so many people miss that today. Yeah, and what you know, I'm a, I'm a trained actor as well as a Bible scholar, and, and that has helped me a lot to see things in the text that it's hard to see with your brain because you have to act, you know, and acting it out and becoming the characters— it, it, you know, that process embodying it, it, it teaches me things. So in a way, it's sort of like a, every time I would get into it, it was like a trans experience in a way, just becoming, transitioning to a different character and experiencing another body and another person and another life. Did you ever feel dysphoria through that? <laughs> no, because I've been a character actor for a long enough time, but my friends, they, they experience the dysphoria when they're around me. Yeah. Well, I don't, th- this has been a fantastic conversation. I th- Penny, do you have anything else? Uh, well, no, not really. You've been, it's like every single point that I wanted to bring up, every single question I wanted to ask, you've already answered. So, uh, it was just, it was, it was fascinating. Um, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to, to seeing what you're doing next. And, um, I really appreciate your time here. How are things for where you are with, uh, with COVID-19? I live in uh, rural central Pennsylvania, and we were just saying how hard it must be for people in cities because all the things that make a city great they're all closed and you can't experience them. And even just going in and out of your own building, you have to deal with so many surfaces you have to touch and people you have to run into. And I live in this incredibly boring, <laughs> but beautiful <laughs> rural place where it's uh, it's much more relaxing because uh, we don't have a lot of cases here at the moment. And, uh, and there's a lot of nature we can enjoy. Yeah. The other thing about New York is that rents are so expensive that everybody's places to stay are tiny. So I, you know, I, I don't know how I would be able to do that, but uh, I'm hoping that this, uh, that people are smart and continue doing the right things, and that uh, if someone comes back and listens to this in like 2021, they'll be like, "Wow, I, f- I remember that," you know, as opposed to like remembering it as the great bloodletting of, of American yeah. society or something. And if anyone listening, you know, particularly a cis person who wants to be supportive of the trans community, I love the organization, the Transgender Justice Funding Project, which provides grants to trans organizations, and they don't have to be nonprofits. And every year they get money and they have trans people go through all the proposals and they give money out to trans organizations all over the country. So if you have a little money to spare, give it to some organization that's supporting trans lives because, um, you know, whenever there's a problem with the economy, you know, some people are far more vulnerable than others. We'll we'll have to find a link for that and make sure we get that in the show notes then. Yeah. And also for me, Peterson Toscano, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Oh, thank you so much, Penny and Amy. It's been really great. Uh, it's been great. Great seeing you again, Peterson. If you, you ever get, if you ever get back here to Rochester, we'll definitely catch up again. All right. We'll have to do a comedy set together. Oh, that'd be fun. So that'd much fun. fun. Can I do it too? Sure. Yeah, of course. I do comedy. I'm funny. Okay. You want to hear? You, no. <laughs> I'm not, I'm no not Peterson Toscano, thank you so much. Uh, we'll be back to, to, to wrap up with in just a minute. This is Transformation Thursday. 
To financially support Transformation Thursday, go to transformationthursday.com and that will bring you to our Patreon page. Once there, click on the Become a Patron button. You can also follow us online on Facebook. You can follow us by searching for Transformation Thursday Podcast. And please join our private Facebook group by searching Transformation Thursday on Facebook. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow us at TransThursPod. To make sure you stay up to date with all the latest episodes, please subscribe to the Transformation Thursday Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google podcast or wherever you get your podcasts on apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating and a short review it's free and it does help get transformation thursday out to a larger audience finally transformation thursday is copyrighted material all rights reserved 2020 welcome back to transformation thursday i am amy stevens and my pronouns are she her and I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her as well. Oh my gosh, Penny, that was a fantastic interview. This is one that I've wanted to do for quite a while because I think, you know, we look at gender and we think about it in these modern terms, but, you know, I, I'll just come out of the gates right away. My big takeaway is it's it's there in history, it's there in the Bible, but yet we don't pay attention to it in our modern societies because, 500 years ago, white European conquests happened here on this continent. And even when they arrived here, the native populations had conquered these native civilizations that had two-spirited people here that had multiple genders. These people were revered in society, but it's only now that we're getting into this modern age that we're digging back into history of our native cultures on this continent and further back to see that, no, really, the transgender population, eunuchs, however they were labeled throughout time, they've been here the whole time. They haven't gone away. Gender, as we know it, is continues to evolve and being transgender is not new at all it's it's been with us since the beginning of time but we're it's just finally coming to our consciousness here in this modern age yeah gender is non-binary that's the and it's always been that way and it's just that just definitely uh like I said more than once, a lot of people use Christianity as a club in both senses of the word. Yeah, they look at it through this English translation that is so filled with errors and gaps from the Hebrew or from the Greek that that's it, it just gets clubbed over our heads. But yet, yeah. when you take a step back, like you've done a couple times talking about different Bible verses, Deuteronomy 22, 5. Mm-hmm. And then and then also with what Peterson does, when you take a step back, it, it's it's not as black and white as what it's made out to be in English. Right. And it's not just English. I was actually having a conversation with a bilingual Christian woman who is also very was very much an ally. And uh she is like telling me that there was a there is a very similar uh, similar age Spanish interpretation of the Bible that is very conservative and very um, very non affirming that people also use. And so my my takeaway is just the fact that pointing this out the to, to people, especially to people who are, are who are deeply faithful and are using that to hide their transphobia, but pointing these things out in this gentle, um, very scholarly and very biblical way is a much better approach than the, you know, bashing that I oftentimes find myself doing online to people. And it's not what I want to do. I want to be more like what Peter, more like Peterson. I want to do uh, things the way Peterson is doing. I just, I just find that very attractive. That thoughtful, gentle, non-aggressive approach to 
gently changing people's minds and people's attitudes. And that's that's my takeaway from this. Well, and I think you can do that better in a face-to-face environment through a storytelling event like you do or like what Peterson does or through podcasting where we can have these long-form interviews and conversations. Doing it in the, in the echo chamber with 140 characters is just a hard <laughs> place to do it. Yeah, it really is. And so it's always good to see this other options. Uh, we will put some information about Peterson Toscano in uh, on, on the social media and on our, uh, on our, on our Transformation Thursday page. So uh, once again, this has been a really great show. And I'm, I'm really grateful that uh, you and I are both still doing this and finding a way to do this, even in this um, time where we can't actually be face to face. I know, but I'm really comfortable at home doing this. Do we ever go yeah. do we ever go back to the Wayo studios? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe not. It it depends on how things how things suss out. But for right now, I'm really happy that we're doing it this way. So, um this has been a great show. Thank you very much everybody for listening and we will catch you next week on Transformation Thursday. Good night, Amy. Good night, Penny and everybody else. Thank you for listening. What if they're singing listening in the afternoon? Should we say good afternoon as well? I don't know. I just say good evening. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. 